Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve on the team here. And I'm thrilled you decided to join us today because we're in week two of our vision series. And we'll share a little bit more about what we believe God's leading us to. But first, I got to share something with you. Maybe you'd call me crazy, but I just think that the local church should look like the local community. I think the local church should look like its local community. And when I go to the park, What I see at the park is I see dads pushing their kids on swings. I see moms catching up on the bench. I see teenagers playing, you know, touch football, frisbee, whatever it is. I might see an older couple walking together on a path. And I'm getting all kinds of feedback, Zach. You guys hearing that too? Just a little bit. I'll just stand way back here. When I, when I go to the mall, or as Lone Tree likes to call it, the Park Meadows Retail Resort, when I go to the mall, what I see at the mall is people driving up in Teslas, and then I walk into the food court, excuse me, the dining hall, and when I'm in the dining hall, I see students serving food, I see custodians cleaning up the tables and mopping the floors, When I go to the grocery store, I see a whole bunch of different ethnicities. Hispanics, Asians, African-Americans, Caucasians, Indians, and the like. It's incredible. And now when I come to our church, I look around and a lot of people look like me. A lot of people live in similar houses, drive similar cars, have similar age kids, and some even have a similar Christian upbringing. That's not a problem, except I just think the local church should look like its local community. And I think that that would mean our church needs to be much more diverse, much more beautiful than maybe even its current expression. But more than looking like the local community, you know what I believe? I believe the church should look like heaven on earth. And here's what heaven will be like. John writes this, Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a beautiful picture. People from, who are different in all the, the ways, different languages, different races, all coming together. And while they're diverse in all of these ways, they've got one thing in common, the most important thing in common. They all have a relationship with God, and they know it's because of Jesus. Now, when I see this picture, I can't wait for heaven one day. I mean, can you? That's going to be awesome. But... Until it's our time, we still have time to carry out Jesus' mission here on earth. And in case you forgot, 
Jesus stated his mission this way in Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Last time, we looked how, at how Jesus illustrated God's love. We looked at three parables from Luke 15. And each parable taught us that the one that's lost is as important as the ones that are found. So much so that Jesus, as the good shepherd, he essentially left the 99 to find the one, to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus is about. And as his church, we now get to carry on his mission. The church is God's plan A to carry out Jesus' mission now that Jesus is back up in heaven. So that's why we exist, to connect the disconnected. And the reason Jesus would seek the one that's far from God is because God loves everyone. He loves everyone. And he wants a relationship with everyone, even that one who is so far from him right now. He wants a relationship with that person. He wants a relationship with each of us. Now, what this means for us as a church is that like Jesus, we have to love the one far from God because God is for them. He is for that one. And that's hard. That's really hard. We talked about how we're going to pursue that last week. We came forward at the end of the service and we wrote a name on the pray for one sign. It's in the back of the room now. We came forward and we wrote a name. Somebody that we're praying would come to know Jesus. Right now, they don't know Jesus. They are far from God. They could be a family member, a neighbor, a coworker. They might be far from him now, but we are praying that the Holy Spirit would work in them and that they would experience life with God through Jesus. So we're praying for one. If you didn't get to participate in that, you can, we have Sharpies in the back. You can write a name up there sometime today. And our staff, like I said, we, we prayed for those names that you wrote on the Connect card. A lot of them are duplicate names. They're on the sign. They're on the Connect card. We prayed for them this week. And we're going to keep praying for them. If you keep writing names, we'll keep praying for those people. And if you write your first name, we're going to pray that God uses you to show God's love to them. So we're praying for one. But more than that, we want to be like Jesus and we want to seek the one who's lost. It could look like a variety of different things, but we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to seek the one who's lost. And when they are found, oh, you better believe we're going to celebrate. Because what we saw in each of those parables is that when the lost one is found, there is a great party. Heaven parties when the lost one is found. So we're going to celebrate. Now, loving the one far from God is actually even more challenging than those, those couple of things. Because there's, there's truth in this, this statement that like attracts like. You know, people, people could look at our church and be like, well, Chris, a lot of people look like you because like attracts like. And there, that's true. It's just not what Jesus would say. So while there is truth in like attracting like, Jesus' vision is that we should even love those who aren't like us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because it's natural to love those who are like us. Those who look like us, talk like us, live like us. But when the, the love of God wells up inside of us and it overflows from us, it's supernatural love. It's not natural love. Which means that love is going to also be expressed to those who don't look like us, those who don't talk like us, and those who don't even live like us. Now, how do we go about this? Well, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew 9. 
We're going to look at two accounts from a day in the life of Jesus to see how he modeled this and lived this out. And in so doing, we're going to learn how to love even them, the one who's different from us. If you need a Bible, you can grab one from the back. You can follow along in the app and take notes there. Now, before we jump into the first account, I want to do this. I want to pause. I want to pray. I want to ask that God be the one who speaks to us now as we open his word. Lord, we come before you eager to hear from you. We ask that we would not only experience your love today, but Lord, it would well up inside of us and it would overflow from us. And that would be felt by our local community. So would you work here in this time, in this place, and in our hearts so that we can know you more and so we can better represent you and your love to those who don't yet know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at the time of the account we're about to read, it was actually still pretty early on in Jesus' ministry, and he, word was starting to spread about this teacher who was performing miracles and healings, and that leads us to the account in Matthew 9. This is verses 1 through 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. It's a pretty incredible account, isn't it? Now, to grasp the significance of what was happening, we need to understand a couple of things that people back then believed. The first is that sin led to sickness. It's a very common belief. The, the idea was if somebody was now suffering from some, some sickness or illness or ailment, they or their parents must have sinned. It's a very life under God, cause and effect belief. Like if we do X, God will do why. That's how they thought. So there's this guy who is paralyzed, and everyone there would have been thinking he or his parents must have sinned. That's why he's in this situation. Now, there's another dynamic at play, another belief that some people held. And we see this uh, come out when Jesus offered or said he's going to forgive his sins. You see, the religious highlight the belief. They they call Jesus, like they call him out saying he's blaspheming, like he's a blasphemer. Because they thought only God can heal, or excuse me, forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So in verse 2, Jesus offers to forgive the man's sins. And then in verse 3, it says this, At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. The religious leaders thought Jesus was claiming to be God because Jesus was claiming to forgive the man's sins, okay? So we got these couple beliefs under the surface in Jesus' audience, and then listen to how Jesus responds to the, the teachers of the law. I love this. Knowing their thoughts. Okay, just real quick. I wish I was like Jesus in this way. I wish I knew people's thoughts. Make me a much better husband. 
right? Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. Essentially, what Jesus did was he met them in their paradigm of sin leads to sickness, and only God can forgive sins, thus only God can heal. Jesus met his audience in their paradigm only to blow up their paradigm. In forgiving the man's sins, he was claiming to be God. It's true. And in healing the man, he put an exclamation point on it. Because that's who Jesus is. And I love Jesus. I love that about him. He challenges our paradigm. Where does Jesus need to blow up your paradigm? Is it that they're in their situation because they're lazy or they're just less intelligent? Is it that, that you should be afraid of them and you should avoid them because of the color of their skin or the job that they hold? Is it that you shouldn't try to get to know them because their cultural upbringing is just so different from yours? Like, you'll, you'll never get along. For me, that's kind of been the case. I'm embarrassed to say it, but uh, I've kind of concocted this narrative in my mind at times. You see, in our neighborhood, uh, at times it feels like Amanda and I, we're like the minority. We've got a, a, a really cool, diverse neighborhood. Lots of Indian families live in our neighborhood. And we, we go to the park and we, we do different things and we see people. And sometimes in our flesh, we are hesitant to get to know people who are different from us. We think, oh, they're Muslim or, or they're sick. I think that's how you say it. They're, they wouldn't be interested in church or Jesus if we talked to them about it. We, we didn't like have a reason to actually believe that. We just kind of came up with that narrative in our mind. And we, say, we, we create these excuses to let us stay comfortable in our familiar. But I don't want to be stuck in the flesh. I want to be more like Jesus. So when I'm at the park with the girls, I try to be really intentional to meet whoever's there, regardless of their ethnicity. And what I've found is our Indian neighbors are incredibly nice people, such nice people. And while I don't understand all the cultural elements that they do, I want to learn more. And Amar and Neethi, they had, us, had me over for lunch last summer. It was incredible. So fun. You guys were incredibly hospitable, so generous. And I learned so much from them about their culture. And it made me eager to learn more about my neighbors and their upbringing and their cultural background. Because here's what my prayer is. While some of my neighbors might be a little different from me, I'm praying that they will know Jesus and they will experience God's love in such a compelling way through me that they would want to follow Jesus too. That's my prayer for my neighbors. So this morning on the Pray For One board, I added Mahir and Kazmi and Kulwinder and Gurvinder because they live right around us. And I would love to not just live around them now, I would love to celebrate forever in heaven too. I would love for them to know Jesus.
Now, the crazy thing about Jesus is he doesn't operate in our paradigms. He, he blows up our paradigms. Whether it's, oh, they have different values from me, or they have different beliefs, or they're different in X, Y, or Z way, it doesn't matter. God loves them, and Jesus loves them too, and he wants us to demonstrate that love to even them. Even them. So, the people who had the hardest time with this teaching were the religious, those who thought they knew God. They're the ones who had the hardest time with Jesus loving even them. And, and here's how it goes down in the second account. All right, picking up now in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, as I explained last time, tax collectors were the economic elite of the day. But the way they got so rich was they upcharged their fellow Jews and padded their own pockets. Thus, their fellow Jews hated them, didn't want anything to do with them. And it kind of makes sense. They were traitors to their own people, taxing them for the Romans. But no one's too far lost for God. So, knowing this, Jesus invites Matthew, follow me. And then the craziest thing happened. He did. Matthew the least likely candidate to follow Jesus. Matthew, upon the invitation of Jesus, starts to follow Jesus. And what does Matthew do? Well, he throws a party with all of his people, the sinners and tax collectors, and then invites Jesus and all of his people, his disciples, and they enjoy a meal together. In more than a social experience, in doing this, Jesus was demonstrating, I accept them. I accept sinners, I accept tax collectors, the people you don't even like, I love. That's what Jesus is about. And I'm so glad that Jesus did this. Because not only did Matthew follow Jesus, God chose to use Matthew to write the account that we're reading today, a biographical account of Jesus' life and ministry. And Countless people have read the Gospel of Matthew since. I mean, over the last 2,000 years, only God knows how many people have been impacted by the words that God had Matthew write. I've been impacted by them. I'm sure many of you have too. You see, God can save anyone and God can use anyone. How good is our God? So, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Matthew would have fit right in with Jesus' followers because Jesus didn't just do this once, he did this regularly. In his group of disciples, it was a rather motley crew. You got some women, you have a zealot, now a tax collector, some fishermen. And they're all coming together, not because they have a lot in common, but because they have one master, one Lord, who they are following. Now, when the disciples were questioned 
by the Pharisees. Why is Jesus, your rabbi, your leader, your master, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus just jumped right in, and I'll read it again for us. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for the sick and the sinners. And this would have shattered the, the Pharisees' thinking. They, the Pharisees were so focused on protecting their own personal reputation, they wouldn't have been caught dead with sinners and tax collectors. But Jesus had a different focus. Jesus wasn't focused on his reputation. He was focused on their salvation, which changed everything for the outcasts, the marginalized, those who others wanted nothing to do with. How good is he? God loves everyone. He wants a relationship with everyone, which means God's for them, even them. The one that we've written off, the one that, that we don't want to be around because of whatever narrative we've concocted. God loves them, and he wants to express his love through us to them. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in quoting this, it was actually from the prophet Hosea, Hosea 6.6, 6, and in quoting this, what Jesus was doing was pointing out or pointing back to a passage that was critiquing Israel because while they were uh, true to the letter of the law, they had missed the spirit of the law. Jesus was now resurfacing that rebuke to his religious audience. Let's not be like that religious audience. Let's not miss the spirit of the law for the letter of the law to be about what God's about, then our church can't be a country club where you like pay your dues and enjoy your membership. The church isn't a country club, it's a hospital. Jesus is the great physician and we all got a part to play, bringing people to him where they can receive healing and care, walking alongside others as they're in their road of recovery. We've all got a part to play. Now, when we love like Jesus, I'm just going to warn you on the front end, it's going to be messy. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. We will be misunderstood. But we're going to be in real good company because Jesus was misunderstood, because Jesus loved radically. You see, Jesus is for even them, so we must be for even them. I'll say it again. Jesus was for even them, so we must be for even them. That's what we're going to be about as a church. We're going to love those who look like us and those who don't. Ephesians 2, 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, when we were lost, Jesus sought and saved us. When we were disconnected from God, Jesus connected us. Now, we, who were once far away and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, now we get to join Jesus in that mission of connecting the disconnected. We can't save, but we can seek. And we will be a part of that. We're going to love the one far from God. We're going to love even them. The rest of the New Testament is the story of God's people trying to figure out how to love this way. And you know what? It took a lot of work. And, and God kind of had to push his people at times to love those unlike them. 
You see, at the beginning of Acts, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and be his witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria, getting a little less familiar, into the ends of the earth. It took persecution to get the church out of Jerusalem. But once it did, the gospel spread. And then God moved in an incredible way, called Paul, who was persecuting Christians to follow Jesus. And as a result, Paul took the gospel to much of the known world, to the Mediterranean and beyond. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And while it was hard on the front end for the church to get this right, by the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, eventually they started to figure it out. And later, Paul wrote this in a letter to the church in Galatia. It says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, uh, nor is there male, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's different than how we look at things in our humanity. In our humanity, we, we create an, an us and them dynamic. But in Christ, there is no us and them. We are one in Christ. He unites us. He unites us with God and he unites us together because he loves everyone and he, he wants a relationship with everyone. And Jesus knew that if he had a united church, it would stand out in a divided world. So let me remind us, what is the picture of heaven? Again, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the Lamb. Between now and heaven one day, how do we be a church that doesn't just look like our local community, but actually a church that looks a little more like heaven on earth? What would that look like? I've heard it said this way, if we're going to gather around the throne one day, we've got to be willing to gather around the table today. Challenge from the passage, throw a Matthew party. Matthew, when he, when he starts to follow Jesus, he gathers all of his crew, sinners, tax collectors, and gets Jesus and his crew to come together, and they just have a party. Matthew didn't know any better, so he just gathered people from different crowds, and they rubbed shoulders, and others took notice. That's so different than what we normally do. When we gather with people, we typically do it around a common interest. We all live in the same neighborhood, we're family, or whatever the thing is, we gather around something that we have in common. And that's good, but how do we make it better? Well, next time we're getting people together, what if we just asked ourselves, like, how could I make that a Matthew party? How could I invite my non-Christian friends and my Christian friends together and just enjoy time together? Who knows what God will do? While they might not have had this language, a couple years ago, Tyler and Emmy were doing a uh, 4th of July thing for their neighbors, and they invited a bunch of friends from church as well. It was awesome. And I don't know, I don't think this was the, you know, the one and done thing that made it happen, but they've been praying for years for their neighbor to know Jesus, and that fall, she accepted Jesus. 
It's just like a little part of the journey along the way. Or this past year, Trista had a baby shower and even though a, a friend from work was throwing it, she invited friends from church. So she got her friends from work, friends from church, all came together to celebrate the new life that they got to welcome. It's really simple. We don't have to overcomplicate this. So next time you're getting people together, just ask yourself, what could I do to make this a Matthew party? And just see what God does. Only time will tell. Now, while this was not a Matthew party in, you know, specifically, I saw God move in a pretty cool way when I got to plan an event for our neighborhood with a few neighbors who are very different from us. Okay, there was a gay couple in our neighborhood, Tom and Jay, and an Indian guy, Mihir, and we, a couple summers ago, threw like a block party for our neighborhood in a movie night. It was so fun, but more than the event itself, the actual win, I think, was the relationship that I got to form with Tom and Jay and Mihir through the process. I say that because this summer, this past summer, Tom has been battling cancer, and more then us checking in on him, he knows that we're praying for him. And I felt, you know, the utmost confidence to tell him that and to email him when he's in the hospital and, and to let him know that we're reaching out because we started to form a relationship years ago. The event planning was just the context that God used. What can it be for you? How are you gonna love the one who's maybe just a little different from you? Now, when we gather as a church like this, here's the challenge for us. We got to welcome the one who doesn't look like you. You got to welcome the one who doesn't look like you. It could be a different ethnicity, different age, different life stage, different socioeconomic status. I don't know what it is, but when people gather with us in this place, we should feel like family. It should not feel like us and them. Because if it starts to feel like us and them, we're missing the target for the church. Loving even them is going to take some intentionality. It's going to take a lot of intentionality because what's normal, what's expected is for us to hang out with people like us, people who look like us, talk like us, live like us. And because this is what's normal, it's what is expected. And it's kind of the typical expression of church in our country. But it is very possible that Sunday morning, is the most segregated time in our country. How do you think Jesus feels about that? You see, the, the church I see is one that's made up of all the demographics in our local community. Families and singles, young and old, everyone belongs in the church that I see. In the church that I see, the person who's exploring faith in Jesus and the one who's been following him for decades, both can grow in their faith in the church that I see. In the church that I see, it's as beautiful and it's as diverse as our local community. And in the church that I see, it's not just a church that looks like its local community. It's a church that looks like heaven on earth. Now, in order for that church to be our church, we need to stretch ourselves. We need to be a little uncomfortable, and we've got to love even them. Jesus loves them, and we will love them too. Let me pray. Lord, we need your help in this, because in our flesh, left to our own devices, it's easy, it's comfortable, it's normal. 
to love those who look like us, to hang out with those who look like us and only those who look like us. But would you stretch us? Would you move in us in such a way that Connect Church would look more like heaven on earth? And that as that's the case, people would get a glimpse as to what life with you looks like and how unifying that is. How it's okay if we speak different languages and our, our different ethnicities and different backgrounds. In you, Jesus, we are one. And we are so grateful for that. So would you help us live in this countercultural way? And when we're misunderstood, when it's messy, when we mess up, would you show us grace? And would especially the person we're trying to love feel your love through us? We ask this in your name and for your glory.